True Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. Emmy Spaghetti Shack has been a Mission Bernal local favorite for over 15 years, which is a feat in the tumultuous San Francisco restaurant scene. But something even more impressive is the fact that Emmy Kaplan opened the restaurant at just 24 years old. The concept for the shack, as it's lovingly called by the staff and regulars, started when Emmy was a waitress at a fine dining restaurant. She and her coworkers would hang out after their final shift and were starving for a dinner of their own. You know, we just would we would experiment cooking at you know someone's apartment, and you know we were just like, oh, we, all we wanted was spaghetti for some reason. The rest is Mission Bernal history. Let's have a listen. So we are here with Emmy Kaplan of Emmy's Spaghetti Shack in Bernal Heights. Thanks for joining us today. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> so in your own words, can you describe what Emmy's Spaghetti Shack is? Well, Emmy's Spaghetti Shack is really just like you're walking into my house. You know, you're coming into a place that, you know, really is just everything about my personality and my kind of what my house looks like actually <laughs> um, you know so everything from the art and the feel and the music so that's kind of the feel that we had starting out and it, it still remains so it's usually just stuff that I, I'm not allowed to keep at home <laughs> you know or art that someone has given to me or art that I bought that you know we just don't have room for right. um, and just you know people like to gift things and aprons, you know, most of those are come, have come from customers and right. from my mom continuing to buy me aprons and the plants. My mom does all the plants, so it's very much family-centered. Are you originally from San Francisco or how Yeah, I was born in San Francisco. I was born um, in, at Kaiser. Yay. Yeah, so I'm right <laughs> around, you know, baby. mission local. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I grew up here in between San Francisco and Sonoma. So I come from a split family. So my dad lived here in San Francisco, and my mom lived in Sonoma. So I was always traveling back and forth. Mm-hmm. So there's always that contrast between, you know, urban and country, you know, and, the, you know, a lot of punk rock roots in there. And then I worked in a lot of fine dining places. So it was always, like, the fight between, like, fine dining and relaxing. It's kind of like city and country. Right. <laughs> I definitely feel something there. The, we're sitting on the back patio at Emmy's here now, and it feels like we're in Sonoma almost. It doesn't <laughs> feel like we're in San Francisco out here. It's hot and sunny, and you can only see treetops. You can't see any buildings or anything like that from back <laughs> here, so it really does feel like we're not even in San Francisco right now. So it sounds like you have been in the restaurant industry for a long time then. You were, um, obviously, Emmy's has been around for now 15 years, so congratulations. Thank you. On that. Yeah. Um, but before that, it sounds like you spent a lot of time, like you said, working in fine dining. Uh, how did you first fall into that world? Well, there's a hotel by the by where I live in Sonoma, um, and I worked my way up there from, you know, turned down attendant, spa girl, to, you know, housekeeper, hostess waitress, you know, restaurant um, manager. So I worked through all the systems there. And then when I, you know, was a teenager and really kind of was in San Francisco, I started working in, you know, more fine dining places in San Francisco as well as like Mel's and Johnny Rockets. Wow. So it was always kind of both. You know, you want the money of working in the fancy places, but you hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you hate it? 
I didn't like the ties and I don't like wearing these tight suits and I didn't really understand why women would wear that type of an outfit and I didn't like how people treated you and how did they treat you just you know there were just a lot of snooty people in the hotel environment or in the fine dining environment and just you know it just you weren't allowed you know I was fired a few times you know for you know saying the wrong thing or you're not giving an attitude you know so maybe that's why I allow that here a little bit more than other places might you mean with your own staff here? Yeah, I do. I understand that not not the customer is not always right. Yeah. And people can be really rude, and it's not okay. I mean, I look at it from both ways, you know, because I understand, and what I try to tell my staff is that person really had that experience. Yeah. They really felt that way, and they really had a bad time. Yeah. You know, and something happened, and either they had a really bad day that day before they even came here. Right. Um, you know, our job is to fix that. So if you're not able to do that, that's a problem. If you're not, you know, it is our job to anticipate, oh, this guy is a real jerk. You know, how can I, <laughs> how can I turn this around? Yeah. Instead of like, he's a jerk, I'm going to be a jerk too. Right. So I would just try to always try to work on it. And I usually, you know, send a message to those people that are sending bad reviews. and like, oh, really? Like, what happened? And yeah. then I hear the, st- I check everyone and I hear the story from the waitress. And they're so opposite the spectrum of what happened and right. you can I can usually tell that whose fault it was and sometimes mm-hmm. it is our fault and sometimes it is the customer's fault in the end it doesn't really matter just as long as you know we say we're sorry anyway mm-hmm. you know because that's not their intention to come out to dinner and have a worse day right <laughs> exactly <laughs> you yeah. know and so we try to I try to teach the customers as well as the staff how, how has that gone over before if you've tried to kind of talk to a customer about about that how has that manifested um it depends you know I had one person who said you know oh that for example you know we had a customer yelp and a couple months ago and saying you know the waitress was very unappreciative of my you know tip I didn't have enough money to leave a 20% tip and so I'm like well that's kind of weird you know and so I you know kind of started a dialogue with him and he basically didn't agree he didn't believe in tipping Mm -hmm. so that's the problem right so you're not going to be able to change his mind about that so it doesn't really matter how did you transition from working in fine dining and then and and casual places like Mel's Diner and um, the hotel industry how did that manifest into I'm going to open up my own restaurant well I just started to uh, I was 23 at the time and I was working at the Flying Saucer on Guerrero. I don't know if you remember that place. And it was very well known for, you know, the chef being extremely, you know, rude and throwing <laughs> the steak at Michael Bauer and all that. Um, I, was there, I wasn't there when that particular chef was there, but it was a very big part of San Francisco, like, dining history. The chefs that were there and, you know, the waitresses, you know, we would all go out after work and just, like, we wanted to eat after work, but they didn't want to serve us because they were tired of cooking basically and you know we just really wanted to eat late night so the main the main focus was god if we could only find a normal place in the mission you know that wasn't a burrito place and so there wasn't any at that time so that was in 19 you know 2001 you know we just would we would experiment cooking at you know someone's apartment and you know we were just like oh we all we wanted was spaghetti for some reason you know my (laughs) roommates and I and the location on um, Virginia was becoming available 
and the, the people were not able to make their rent and so I was offered the opportunity to come in there and you know redo it and do it and I you know I had the idea and I had the plan and I had the name you know I'd been dreaming about it for you know six months it wasn't like a long lifelong vision for this particular thing but I always knew that it would be better if I was worked for myself I'm not much of a I don't really work well with others <laughs> as I've been told you know I'm just more of um, I I'm kind of controlling so I like to have things go my way and I'm sure you know I'm sure of it yeah, I mean, and sure that confidence, that confidence, I think, is what you need to have your own business sometimes. Yeah, but also at, at that age, you don't have anything to lose, you know? So I didn't own a house. I didn't have, I was pregnant at the time. I didn't know that yet, but, you know, I realized oh, wow. very soon after signing the, <laughs> you know, the agreement <laughs> to go in there that I was pregnant yeah. and I was single, you know, and I was trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Um, so I just had to figure it out, and I knew what I didn't want. So you know, we started working with chefs, and um, my partner at the time, I, you know, my son's dad, you know, he was a you know excellent bartender, mixologist type. So you know, we feel really strongly that we started that craft cocktail movement, you know, and we just really started that late night dining, right? And it was just really fun. We were having fun. I mean, and to that end, one of the things I wanted to, to ask you about was you've been now here in Bernal Heights for 15 years mm -hmm. and it seems like um, t newcomers to San Francisco think of Bernal Heights as this new undiscovered neighborhood and all the kind of hot new restaurants seem to be opening up in the mission in Bernal Heights on this side of town um, but you've been here for a decade and a half how has that scene sort of evolved and what was the neighborhood like in the mid 2000 early aughts well, I can really only speak for, you know, this strip right. of Mission because I don't really know anything about Cortland. You mm -hmm. know, when I'm, when I'm here, I'm at work, right. you know. So when I'm in Bernal Heights, it's like this is our street. You know, we're, it's, it's changed. We're, there, it's only changed in the last year really? or two, you know, where there's been new restaurants and things like that because for the last 15 years, you know, the only, you know, kind of Anglo – restaurants were Blue Plate and myself mm -hmm. so you know they were Blue Plate's been here 17 wow. years I think so that was it you know people told me you'll never no one's ever going to come all the way up there right you know, and we consider ourselves the mission so the only the Bernal Heights thing is relatively new we Meaning weren't like I wasn't aware that I was in Bernal Heights for 10 years right <laughs> And I don't think that Bernal Heights considered this strip theirs either. Right, so right. that's new. The people haven't changed drastically. Because mm -hmm. even when, I, when we first came here 15 years ago, you know, it was still pretty pricey. And, you know, people were still living in really nice houses and stuff up there. So I think just people are coming into Bernal Heights more than they used to. This is Rebecca Goberstein, and you're listening to Menu Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. We'll be right back with Emmy Kaplan of Emmy's Spaghetti Shack. Yeah. 
No, I was never really a chef. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my best friends is, was from Italy, and he worked with me. We worked together at Ticuz, actually, when Ticuz was here, um, Juppe. Um, and so he helped me to develop the spaghetti and the meatballs. You know, so he's very Italian, <laughs> and he made the meatballs for us. Wow. So, you know, he, he just loved to share his recipe. Yeah. And, you know, the chefs that w- – I've, I've had three chefs over the lifetime of the business. So, you know, at the moment, we just kind of – we just try to remember the, our favorite dishes and just – just try to just stick with the authenticity and not try to do anything fancy. Mm-hmm. Just try to stick with what do people love, and you know we create the menu based on what we want to eat. Right. We're not trying to break any, you know, reinvent the wheel or try to do anything new, really necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it's not. I don't think it's necessarily like trying to be Italian food. And I think we used to call it, um, you know, we used to call it urban ghetto, urban four star dining. <laughs> Urban ghetto, four-star dining, you know, because people thought, oh, that's way deep in the mission, right? you know, because the mission really to us is silver, you know, kind of out there, you know, like it's the outer, it used to be called the outer mission, so it wasn't bottom of Bernal, you know, it's, we're deep in, yeah, so um, we were just trying to have good food, yeah, and at the time, you know, tomatoes were inexpensive, pasta was inexpensive, um, things were cheaper than they are now. So we're like, okay, what's cheap to make so we can make a profit because it is a business, you know? So that was the goal. Uh, not having a formal kind of chef's background or culinary background other than working on the front of the house side mm-hmm. of the service industry, how did you go about figuring out how to run your own restaurant? It just it just kind of happens, you know. I eat a lot, so I love <laughs> eating, <laughs> and it just I I I like I like to have all kinds of food. Like I like to go out to very fancy places mm-hmm. and you know very divey places as well. But mm-hmm. to me, the food has to be good, mm-hmm. and I, it's not that hard. That's the bottom line. It's not that hard, and people screw it up a lot, and it's I don't. There's no reason for that, right. unless that you just don't like food. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just weird. Yeah. Or they're trying to do something. It's like taste your food, right. and have other people taste your food. Yeah. And I listen to my customers, you know. And I've well, there have been things on the menu that I've taken off, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, I love it. Yeah. And usually, if I love it, the customers are gonna love it. That's kind of the way that I go about it. But you say it's not hard to make really great food so what, what are kind of like the the few things that you think are needed in order to create great food I think just maybe time and testing mm-hmm. of certain things you know um, good ingredients we don't buy our food from restaurant depot you know all of our quality is good mm-hmm. and I'm not shouting it from the rooftops or putting it on the menu everything's organic and it isn't you know so it's just like you do your best right you know, you get the highest quality that you can to afford, you know, so you don't have to make the prices so high. And I also think portion size is important mm-hmm. and having it be big enough so that it's worth it. Um, you know, just not trying to overthink it. Mm-hmm. Keeping it simple. Keeping it simple, yeah. And for me, I'm huge on salads because I love salads, and that's something that people are really lacking in, in restaurants. I mean, I create the 
salads. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's I eat salads all the time. But that's very important. That has to be somewhat healthy. Everything you have to have a mix. Mm-hmm. Can't just be all pork belly. Right. <laughs> yeah, it can't just be all super rich mm-hmm. fatty food. Right. So you could have the healthiest vegan meal here, or you could have, you know, all fried food and the steak and. It's yeah. up to you as a person. So, yeah, you know, and people are like, oh, too many carbs. Well, you don't have to have the carbs. Right. It's up to you. So uh, we met with Chef Rebecca Boyce and Gilbert Pilgrim for Zuni Cafe when we had them on the show. And um, uh, Rebecca Boyce spent a lot of her time training here. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, what do you think uh, chefs learn when they come to Emmy's Spaghetti Shack that they may not get at another restaurant? Um, well, she worked under our chef, Sarah Kernon, who was our first chef, and she now owns Miss Ollie's in Oakland. Or that's now a community kind of um, a commune. I'm not <laughs> sure they changed into something, but uh-huh. she, she, she was classically trained mm-hmm. as in Italian food. And so the way that she you know, trained Rebecca was pr- probably pretty similar to Zuni's style, I'm guessing, but just mm-hmm. on a very small scale. So Sarah was very much all about quality, 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 quality. Don't mm-hmm. cut corners, you know, and just make sure you're doing it right. Um, and so we've we've progressed where it's just really quality as much, you know, you have to stick with it, and it might take longer, mm-hmm. and that's okay. So right. it's we can explain that to the customers you know we're doing our best this is not fast food right so yeah I don't know and just maybe for her learning how to like really bang it out <laughs> and just get it out there yeah I remember she, she worked for us in the very small kitchen but oh that's nice yeah at the at the original mm-hmm. um, yes I mean so where where was the original location on Virginia and Mission and you moved to this bigger location on on Mission Street a couple mm-hmm. years ago then? About a year and a half ago, exactly, yeah. So what made you realize that it was time to move and find a different space? Well, the building um, was falling apart, mostly. Sign, yeah, I um, and I didn't have a secure lease. I never did. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, a, you never know what's going to happen, and don't worry, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be taken care of. But I just, I, I have a hard time relying on other people. So I just kind of just put my feelers out there and just kind of wanted to um, just become a little more self-sufficient as Mm -hmm. far as like my future and my employees' future. Right. You know, I have, you know, 17 full-time employees. Wow. So I didn't want to, you know, be caught with my pants down, you know, like I didn't want to be putting everybody out. And I knew that something was going to have to give over there. And um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the building is, you know, selling or something like that, which would be for the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good that you found this place mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Uh, so this is a secure lease then, I imagine. It or, is. It's yeah. a secure lease. And um, El Zocalo, the restaurant before, that was here, which is a very, it was here for 50 years. Wow. Um, and Victoria, the owner of El Zocalo, she's my landlady. And so That's she just great. couldn't be happier. It was, we have a, you know, very close relationship. And she's just like, when I met you, I knew that it was the right thing to do. She actually tore up another lease that she was just about to sign wow. and, you know, decided that we were going to be like lifelong <laughs> friends. So I'm just like, can't be more thankful That's for her. Great. Yeah. So you almost have like a mentor in your landlady. Yeah. She's yeah. awesome. She's really, really cool. What's been uh, what's been the most challenging thing about having your own restaurant over the last 
15 years. The most challenging and also the most like freeing and base and it's something that I tell other business owners a lot is to let go, you know, and let go and and don't just understand that not everything is going to be perfect and walk away and take your time for yourself. So I do that a lot and I really am try to empower my employees to be self-managed and to not call me and take care of everything and you know I try to make it worth their while we do lots of fun trips and you know stuff like that but I don't I I do not want to be called to fix something that they could do so that is the most difficult thing is to prioritize family and you know my son's almost 15 so Mm -hmm. he's you know this old as a restaurant (laughs) So that is also, you know, the most challenging thing. It's the, it's the most important thing too. Because I've been able, it's I've been able to, be home with him, mm-hmm. most of the time. By leaning on your staff to, to just do. yeah, and just being very clear about what it is that they need to do mm-hmm. as employees, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't have a manager. They're the managers, you know. So it's their responsibility, but I do everything. Still, but you know, I tell them what it's. I think it's it's difficult to express exactly what you need people to do and to be really clear about it. So that's something I feel I've been really good at getting there. But it's it is very difficult to walk away. And I have nights where I'm sitting at home, stressing out really hard, <laughs> you know, and worrying about what's going on here. Right. But you know, it's worth it. So they're, yeah, and they're fine. <laughs> the customers are going to be fine. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's hard to kind of put your baby into someone else's hands sometimes, but it, you have to do that as it is. A business owner. Yeah, it is, and it hasn't always gone great. So, it's, and it's okay, you know, to forgive yourself and be like, oh, okay, if I was there, it would have been better, but I wasn't. So, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do? Right. What's been the most rewarding thing, having done what you've done so far? Um, probably the same thing, you know, being able to have a career where I can spend time with my son and spend time with my family. Um, so that's really rewarding. It's really, you know, it's, I don't think I would be in a desk job or, and it's just a perfect career for me because I like, I don't, I don't like being tied down and I'm kind of all over the place and that works, you know, but it's rewarding also to see the people that have worked for me open their own restaurants, open their own businesses. Um, and I try to, I try to be really supportive of everybody. What's, um, what are some examples of people that have gone on? Um, well, I mean, the first example would be, um, my son's dad, he opened Farmer Brown and Little Skillet with his current wife, but we worked together. So it's not like I, you know, showed him what to do, but you know, that was, it's really inspiring to see him and to see um, Sarah Kernan with her place in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Josie from the front porch. She was a waitress with me there. Wow, I didn't know yeah, that That's um, great. Yeah, the front porch. And my um, Georgia, who owns the Pretty Pretty Collective. It's a hair salon in the Mission. Oh, okay. So she used to work for me. And it's just like everybody, you know, goes on and does their, their stuff. So Yeah, kind of like a training ground. What do you think... Um, have any of them kind of come back to you and shared what something that they learned from you from their time here that yeah they, they always do 
They always do, and it's really sweet, you know. And it's like, well, I'm not taking credit for that, but it feels good, you know. It feels yeah, good because yeah. they mean it, right? And you know, they like uh, people will come back and say, "Oh my gosh, now that I own my own business, or now I respect you." Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is tough. So, what what is it that you think they learned here that they bring with them? Um, just you, you don't, you're not always, don't always be a friend, you know, or you have to be hard. Somebody has to be hard on, you can still be nice and, you know, be stern. Mm-hmm. Um, those are things that I've been pretty good at, you know, boundaries. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, it's really tough and we walk a pretty fine line and I have like a lot of friends that have worked for me and that work for me. And it's right. just really hard because you want to be as honest as possible, you know, without hurting anybody's feelings. But you still want to be honest even if they're not your friend. Right. You know? Exactly. So it's kind of like I try to let people know when they get hired, like, yeah, we're going to be friendly. We're all going to be friends. But, like, I'm always going to be honest with you. Right. So, yeah, it's really hard. I mean, there have been times when I've not been able to do that at all or, you know, and I get intimidated as just like anybody and right. you know you're scared of the repercussions you know but generally everyone is just you know we have a pretty good environment yeah so uh so what's what's next for you oh I don't know you know I I wanted to do a brunch um but I don't really want to work Saturday Sunday mornings <laughs> <laughs> you know I feel that. and yep. so that's like where I'm at like okay what's more important and why rock the boat? So, um, you know, I'd like to expand to maybe Oakland or Berkeley, but I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm scared of, I'm scared to do that. There's only one of me. It's kind of the bottom line, and I do have a son in high school, so I want to be there for him and for my husband as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So that's my, that's what's next for me. It's just concentrating on. You know, the high school years for my kid. <laughs> That's yeah. great. And then maybe, who knows, maybe we'll be seeing something new coming from you once he's off. I think off so. I think so. Yeah, I'll be really empty nesting, right? So <laughs> probably in four years I will do something, but you never know. Brunch. Yeah. We'll <laughs> make, make reservations now. Five yeah, make reservations now. now. <laughs> exactly. You can learn more about Emmys at emmyspaghettishack.com and be sure to view all the photos and the behind the scenes video from this episode on our website at menustories.com. On the next episode of Menu Stories, we meet the team behind AQ and Mercer Restaurant Group in a special two-part episode. We got to go on an adventure and tour their restaurant along with the farm two hours north of San Francisco where Mercer's chefs source their ingredients. Stay tuned. Subscribe to Menu Stories on MenuStories.com so you can get the next episode delivered to your inbox. You can listen on our website, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. We're at Menu Stories for all of those except Twitter at Menu underscore Stories. Special thanks to Siska Marcus, who edited this episode, and Patrick Wong, creator of Menu Stories videos. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein, and until next time, happy eating. Thank you.